Secrets of the Sire. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Secrets of the Sire. We talk comics, movies, TV, and pop culture every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Sire Studios Digital Network. That is SireDigital.com, BlogTalkRadio.com slash Sire Studios, RadioPublic.com, YouTube.com, Facebook.com, Twitch.tv slash Secrets of the Sire, and of course, SecretsOfTheSire.com. Tonight, Spider-Man Far From Home, Stranger Things, we preview both blockbusters coming to your summer screens. The Walking Dead shocker no one saw coming. And we welcome creator and founder of DiversityCon, Ramon Gill. I am your host, Michael Dolce. And as always, I am joined by the lord of the radio, Mr. Hassan Godwin. How you doing, sir? It's still hot out. Is it? Is it? It's, you know what? And I, I saw, um, I saw on an on a almanac, like a farmer's almanac, that this weather is probably going to continue all the way up to, like, maybe October. Yeah. Isn't that odd? Summer? This thing, this thing they call summer? It's been doing that for years, though. Really? It's been doing that for years. Yeah, October's always generally been a good... I don't remember... Well, I don't remember... Um, I don't remember the season of summer. I really don't. I... As far as I've seen, it, it, it's winter all the way, you know, all year long, you know, with like uh, snow, snow, snowfalls and you would be happy. rainstorms. Would I, would, I would be thrilled. To Alaska and or <laughs> Canada. No, there's wolves uh, in Alaska, so no. North I got Dakota. This. You need some sort of cold weather. Minnesota, maybe. Minnesota. Cold. I'm thinking about Minnesota for my retirement. Well, you braved, like, the, heat. They... You braved the heat last night, though. Yeah, we did. We, it, yeah, last night was nuclear. <laughs> it wasn't. It was. It was the nuclear on the on the on the scale, man. It was like wow. It was really. It was muggy and humid, and then it had the nerve to to have a, a torrential downpour in the yeah. middle of uh, in the yeah. middle of the evening. No and good. then we went in and we had dinner. A spoiler for how the evening ended. <laughs> well, oh, hang we on. Let's in. give the audience a little more context. We went to. Well, no, no, no. You're gonna. Oh, oh, this this it. this has nothing to do with the evening. Oh, okay. This, this is just anecdotal. Uh, I got we, went in, we went in for dinner, and when we came out, maybe about an hour, a solid hour and a half later, yeah, everything was dry. That's yeah. how hot it was out. You know, yeah. like it was almost like it never rained at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you go ahead and talk about the. I was going to say we went to Ramon Gill's uh, graphic novel workshop, comic book uh, workshop. Uh, we were the featured guest, awesome. which was great. We're going to stream it out live. Uh, well, we'll stream the recorded um, version of that on Friday. Uh, on the Sire Studios YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash Secrets of the Sire for now. We're going to do a little uh, great launch uh, pretty soon of a new name, but uh, you can check it out on Friday. We're going we're gonna to stream that sucker out. Uh, it was great being a guest, and in turn, we're going to have him on tonight. Now we, you know, spoiler alert, we pre-recorded it last night because, uh, you know, we only got so much time in the day, um, but he's mm-hmm. on a little bit later. But the big news, i got to be honest with you, I, I'm debating – whether to do spin the racks now because there's this walking dead news that came out today. Uh, that is, that is absolutely just, why uh, is it so shocking though? I don't understand why uh, you will. Why that would be shocking. Uh, because for anybody who doesn't realize, uh, walking dead issue 193 was the finale of the series. And I won't spoil anything. Uh, I actually spoiled the story for myself because I'm not caught up yet. In 192, there was a there was a huge death, 
and it had people reeling and it had people really excited for issue 200, which was being solicited. That's the beauty of what Robert Kirkman did. He actually solicited fake covers and fake um, synopses to Diamond, which is the distribution, and made it seem as if there's going to be a 194, a 195, 196, 197, 198, all the way leading up to 200. And as it turns out, issue 193 is the final issue of Walking Dead. So for a, a story that lived off of people being shocked by what was going to happen next, Robert Kirkman managed to do just that with the series finale. No one saw it coming. So Here's a question, though. Yeah. Did he plan to end it, or did, was there some yes. kind of inside baseball behind the scenes machination yeah. Him no. decide, look, I'm shutting it down then. No, no, they and they they worked hand in hand with him. I told you they actually solicited things beyond that, and he literally did tell the final story um, without getting too shocking, you know, without getting too spoilery as to what happens. If you if you know what kind of happened in the issue beforehand, you kind of realize, oh yeah, that was the ending because because everyone's kind of saying like, well, where are you going to go from here after issue 192? And it <laughs> turns out 193 is simply an epilogue to what happened and that's it and, and, and he ended the story we'll get into some quotes from him when we spin the racks a lot to talk about when it comes to that but the big you news ruin the spinning of the racks so you did no you we did. didn't uh, look I teased it. people are going to want to talk about this right we teased uh, it further are you going to spoil the ending are you, yes. are you planning on okay <laughs> no. Spider-Man <laughs> Far From Home we should spoil the ending we should do Stranger that. Things 3 these are the two big things dropping this has been I mean if you look at the scope of 2019 it I, it just feels like bomb after bomb after bomb and i don't mean this in a in a you know it bombed at the box office i mean just like <laughs> of things dropping i mean what what a um was that a depiction of a bomb going off is that what you just <laughs> like okay. we had captain marvel which was very highly anticipated which shazam which is also very highly anticipated. Glass kicked off the year. Avengers Endgame, you know, I mean, was was ten Twice. years making. They tried to they tried to bring it back to they're to, bringing it back right to it, try to nuke um uh, uh, Avatar, and it right. actually didn't work. No, badly for them. No, so Game of Thrones ended this year. I mean, we just had so much, and then you finally have the return of Stranger Things season three. And you have, and even on the smaller level, you got you had the end of uh, the Big Bang Theory. Oh was, my gosh, yeah! Which is a long and and even though you discredited uh, the Deadwood movie, which 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 a thirteen year delayed season series finale, yeah, uh, was kind of it's is you know turned out to be kind of a big deal. A lot of people were thankfully very um, very receptive to it. You know, very yeah. very positive about it. You so, have, I mean, uh, and then you have, you've got Spider-Man the start of the, of... Well, actually, I was going to say, he considers, Kevin Feige considers it the end of the Infinity Saga. Uh, but even still, it's huge. Absolutely Kind of not huge. smart. Not that smart. <laughs> well, we have I, I, I just think, you know, well, from a marketing standpoint, right? We talk marketing all the time and the, yeah. and the necessities of marketing. It's better to claim that something is beginning than something is ending. Yeah. You know, it's always, you know, especially if, let's say, Spider-Man Far From Home joins a billion-dollar club. Right. Becomes a big movie. You want to call your the, the first movie of your next phase of, uh, you know, of, of a series of movies a, a raging success, you know, right. coming off of Endgame. 
because it's you know like we, we we talked about this in previous weeks. Yeah. Um, the 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 scuttlebutt is that they're never gonna they're never gonna be able to top Endgame. You know, you're never gonna be able to build the hype. And the and the you're never going to be able to do this to us again for twenty movies, you know. Right. Make us wait for another a, a big uh, a big landfall twenty movies from now. So you know if you if you start off phase two, uh, phase four. My God, um, <laughs> I, I must still be tired from last night. If you start off phase four with a with a you know with a barnstorm, you know uh, hit it uh, it. It will. It, it's a lot of positive press for your endeavors. You know? Right, right. But I mean, you. But it, I, I guess the same could be argued that if you end phase three with right. another, you know, with another billion dollar hit, that's another positive. And they're really talking about it making a a, a crap ton of money. Uh, it, it's not just that though. Too supposedly, there's an end credit scene in Far From Home that is supposed to be jaw dropping. So I think what you are hinting at in terms of this beginning is actually in there. Like the seeds of the next Marvel uh, Universe saga is there. So we'll I think I think there's something, you know, kind of okay. cool about that. Fair enough. My question to you, and, and I threw this out on Facebook as well, is it, what are you looking forward to more out of, the, out of both, right? You have Spider-Man Far From Home, Stranger Things 3. They both come out pretty much the same week, almost the same day. Gun to your head, what are you going to see and why? <laughs> Like you have to, you can only watch one of the two. Which one are you watching? I hope no one's holding the gun to my head. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Um, oh boy, I, it's, it's gonna. I'd have to say Stranger Things three is is something that I'm really, really looking forward to. Yeah, Spider Man. It's kind of weird. The MCU is kind of like this thing. Like, oh, that's that's gonna be great. I'm gonna I'm gonna go see that. You know, and I'm yeah. most likely gonna enjoy it. I I enjoyed um, Homecoming. Yeah, really did enjoy Homecoming. Um, not as much as uh, as as Spider Man Two, but nothing is really going to touch touch yeah, Spider Man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed Homecoming. It was it was definitely a better installment than the the two amazing Spider Man movies. So I you know it felt like Spider Man was on on a good track, and he fit you know they 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 remodeled him really nicely so that he fit into the MCU. Right. Which is, you know, so the MCU ver MCU's version of Spider-Man, I, I enjoy. So yeah. far from home, I am anticipating enjoying it and having a good time seeing the movie. Looking forward to that end credit scene that everyone's talking about. Going to be really great. However, Stranger Things, though I have to add, um, there's a little trepidation about it because, you know, you can always ruin these things. Yeah. Um, and that's the that's the unfortunate thing. Not so much that the that the the show itself or the movie or whatever you're talking about kind of didn't meet with your expectations. You got right. that to deal with, mm. but also you got the you got the internet backlash to deal with, right? Mm. Where no matter where you turn on the internet, you can't hear anything but the you know all the the disappointing third season of sure. of Stranger Things, and you know, and they they repeat the narrative over and over again until you're just like, yeah, it sucked. It was terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I never look forward to that kind of uh, to that kind of wave of uh, negativity. Yeah, but you know that the, the you know the, that's that's the cost of doing business, right? Yeah. I'm I'm enthusiastic to see what they do with the third season of Stranger Things. I thoroughly enjoyed the first two seasons with with very few caveats with with 
you know, I know, I know people are upset about, um, I think, uh, episode seven, was it, for Stranger Things last yeah, it was year? Like seven or eight, yeah. Seven or eight, you know, with uh, yeah. one, with Which, the deviation. Let me tell you right now, actually, again, is one of those necessary disruptions, because quite frankly, Stranger Things is a one-trick pony when all is said and done, right? Like, yeah. if, you, if you look at that first season, and this actually kind of leads into why I'm actually looking forward to Spider-Man more than Stranger Things. Stranger Things, the whole uh, you know concept of it is the '80s nostalgia mixed with a cool horror take, right? Like the kid, you know, Will goes missing, goes into the upside down world, and it's really cool. And it's like, oh, this is really neat. Um, it's not groundbreaking in any way, shape, or form. It's just a really good, good story. So when season two comes along, ironically enough, it's almost laying the groundwork for what an 80s sequel would be. It's like, we need to do another one. So we'll just kind of touch on what we did in, ish, in, in, the, in the first movie, uh, you know, and kind of, you know, regurgitate the same kind of things. And I feel like they did that with the exception of episode, I guess, seven or eight, when they diverged off and showed the other, um, you know, people who were like uh, Millie Bobby Brown's character, uh, Eleven, and created a sort of like hip 80s Chris Claremont John Byrne X-Men universe that they can now kind of, which maybe they will, maybe they won't, but they can now kind of explore. They opened it up a little bit. Mind you, it was done in such a way that was very disruptive um, from a viewer standpoint, but at least they did it, they got it over with, and now anything that comes after this, it's like, uh, and I'll use my music analogy, uh, Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam was always saying, you know, we're allowed to explore whatever music territory we want to, because there were a couple songs on 10 where we did just that. So when you first met us and first listened to us, you know, as much as you had the hard rocking songs, you had songs like Black, you had songs like Oceans, you had songs like Release, and they felt like, well, well, we can do this now. You know, our next album, we can do a couple different things. We can, you know, three albums from now, we can go in a different direction because it's not going to completely jar uh, their audience. And in, in much the same way, I think Stranger Things kind of did that. They, they kind of took something... And as, as disruptive as it was as a viewer to have to sit through and go, what the F is this? I was just, I want to know what happens here. And now I have a whole episode I got to get through, blah, blah, blah. It's done. Mm-hmm. Might not have been handled right. the best way, but it's over with. And now, now Four you can days. sit there and say, Stranger Things 3, okay, if they get into this other world or they tell this new story or they tell this new like corner of the universe, it's been established and I think will we'll, we'll work. But all that being said, the fact that this is the first Marvel movie post Endgame, and again the buzz about the multiverse, the buzz about uh, Disney and Fox kind of merging, and how is Spider-Man going to kind of lead into potentials for that? This is the first Marvel movie where we actually don't know what's going to come next. It's not, it is, and it's not a piece of a larger story. It, it feels, it feels kind of fresh. It feels kind of exciting to me. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to Spider-Man more than Stranger Things 3. All right. <laughs> People have to learn that... Uh, wait, wait up, wait up, wait up. Grab that conversation and, and run with it. <laughs> wait up, wait up, pass the baton to Hassan. I was about to, but, you know, it, with my, in my own uh, typical subject <laughs> People have to people have to learn that you're not going to get and not, and I'm not talking about you. It's not a reflection on what you just said. Right. People have to realize that 
basically the thing that makes all the and i and i'm convinced of this and no one's really going to be able to convince me otherwise the thing that makes everything that we really like today um palatable or, yeah. or extremely likable is the characters yeah because you know everybody's trying to dissect why okay why stranger things uh, hitting on so many levels that such and such didn't and this didn't and that didn't why is the mcu so much better than the dceu Mm-hmm. Why is, you know, or, or, uh, or Fox's, uh, you know, uh, string of uh, comic book movies. And so, you know, if you look at, um, if you look at all these other contenders, they always drop the ball on the character. You know, they're always doing shortcuts on things so that they could get the, you know, you could get the spectacle in there. You could get the explosions in there. You can get like, um, you know, like one of the, one of my favorite, uh, examples of this is uh, Age of Apocalypse, where they just, you know, they took Warren Worthington, they took the angel, right. the, who got famously in the comic books turned into Archangel right. um, during the fall of the mutants. Right. Um, because uh, because Warren Worthington lost his wings. It, mm-hmm. it, very, very famously, very, very yeah. tragically. Yes. And then, they, you know, they rubbed him up against a, an electric fence, and that's why his wings got burned, and that's why yeah. he was able to, in the movie. I mean, they just, they literally shortcut yeah. five or six years of storytelling just to get that, just to get Archangel in the film. Mm-hmm. And you're, that's, you know, that's a waste of a character. That's a waste of something. You, you wanted the end result. You wanted the spectacle of what he became in yeah. the end. And you wanted to, in, in order to get him there at that time, at that place, you were fine with stepping over tons of uh, uh, of content, you know, potential content, uh, drama, yeah, uh, character to get us there. And the ADC, the MCU has never taken a shortcut on this. They've always right. emphasized on character. So yeah, so far from home. Also, the Peter Parker's just the fact that two two movies in, not even not even two full Spider-Man movies, but just from uh, Civil War, um, just judging by Civil War and uh, Far From Home. No, yeah. excuse me, um, uh, Homecoming. Right. The home. The two homes are going to be tough. That's going to be tough to, to differentiate them. But uh, the Homecoming, you the oh, fact yeah. that Aunt May is a young woman. Um, the fact that her relationship, they've changed the relationship between Aunt May and Peter. Uh huh. And you know, and that that is, that's the the potential that Aunt May is dating is going to actually cause uh, sure. you know, some turmoil. That's a lot of character stuff that they threw in very quickly. Yeah, very. But it's it's potential. It's got potential legs to it. It's, yeah. it's very strong. It can be drawn out. That's that's good groundworking. Yeah. So so the character is very strong, and that's why his Spider Man is going to be is is well received and very strong. Same with the uh, Tobey Maguire version of Spider Man, where they emphasize character you know almost in, in some cases over plot you Isn't know that kind of funny it's funny that you're actually saying that though because now it brings me back to endgame a little bit and i feel like spoilers if you haven't seen endgame by now uh introducing the time travel and the multiverse and the and the divergent timelines as quickly as they did goes against what you actually say which might be one of the reasons why i'm not a like really looking back endgame is Endgame, the more and more I think about it, the less and less I like it. And I wasn't, I, I was happy with many moments in it. It's a well-made film. But I remember walking out of there being like, all right, I was a little disappointed, but good film. And the more and more I think about it, I'm like, no, because maybe they, they, maybe they, maybe that's the first movie where they actually did kind of, you know, take a shortcut. Uh, they kind of had the groundwork of Ant-Man, which they did, you know, they, they, with the quantum verse and things like that. 
but they did kind of take a shortcut. No, no, the, the MCU takes a lot of sh uh, narrative shortcuts. Mm -hmm. my, my point is that they, they never take any character, character yeah. shortcuts. They never, they never underdevelop a character. That's true. Some, sometimes a character is underused, but they, sure. didn't, they, didn't, they never made a, a huge promise of that character in the first place. Like You can argue that Peggy Carter was kind of underused. You know, as a, right. as a main point, as a main staple, in right. the, especially in, in uh, Captain America's story. Um, but they never promised us a Peggy. And then we did get a Peggy Carter TV show, but that was right. cut short. Right. But they never really promised us in the movies a strong Peggy yeah. Carter presence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she was, she was shortcutted, but they didn't, you know, it, it's not like they, they tried to develop the character and just decided against it and, and dropped it. You know, she's... Yeah. She's just there as a fixture of, like, kind of a specter in, um, like, a, to, to haunt the Captain, you know, the, the contemporary Captain America, you know, yeah. that got lost. And then they, they, they went full circle and wrapped that story up uh, in and of itself. But what I'm talking about in general is just, just characters, not narrative. I, I, I think the MCU makes a lot of narrative. Uh, I won't call them mistakes because, I, you know, who am I to judge whether they're mistakes or not? But I, they do take a lot of narrative shortcuts. And okay. definitely the time travel and the way they just kind of threw away the standard uh, Hollywood, um, yeah. Hollywood parameters of what time travel entails is, is both cute, interesting, and a shortcut at the same time. It's, it, was actually, uh, it was actually kind of a phenomenon. Yeah. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just talking about mainly characters. No, like, I, I get it. I get the difference. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, looking up reviews for both Spider-Man and Stranger Things, it looks like we're not going to be disappointed. Mostly, Spider-Man Far From Home, this is from Entertainment Weekly, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home reviews largely praise Tom Holland's next film. Uh, Owen, uh, not Owen Gleiberman, uh, directed by John Watts. Oh, EW's Darren Franich praises Jake Gyllenhaal's clever, careful, careful performance as Mysterio. Um, he also says that uh, Tom Holland's next solo outing solidifies him as the new and improved heart of the MCU. Um, Variety's Owen Gleiberman calls Far From Home closer in spirit to the good Tobey Maguire movies. Carved out a space for Spider-Man that feels uniquely breezy and charming while still fitting the larger structure of the Marvel movies. Um, to be fair, though, not everyone came out of their singing praises. Uh, IndieWire's David Eldred Elrich... Ehrlich, sorry, David Ehrlich called it a cute but painfully unadventurous bit of superhero housekeeping. Uh, how the film smirks and winks as if it's on, as if it's in on the fatigue, offering an illusion of cool when at heart it's as slavishly on message as everything else. Oh, um, That's not even a review. There's also a bad it's one from saying it's another superhero movie and it does superhero stuff in the superhero movie. What did you go to a superhero movie to see? Right. You went to a superhero movie to see in terms of endearment. I don't, you know, I, I get, I get that it didn't do anything for him. Yeah. But to call the superhero movie bland because it's another superhero movie is kind of missing the point. I think. Matt Singer from Screen Crush. Their smart solution was to tell a classic story in the Lee Ditko mold. It sets the stage perfectly with a shocking cliffhanger for whatever Marvel has in store for us next. Um, oh, see, spoilery. Stranger Things 3, uh, reviews are out. Best season by leaps and bounds. This is from CNET. Uh, get ready for new characters, 1980s flash and fads, and more gore than usual when the hit returns July 4th. So that'll be tomorrow. Uh, yeah. it, it's what fans wanted to hear. Uh, CNET's own Jennifer Bissett calls season 3 a brilliant return to form. 
adding that it brings the focus back to the elements that made the first season such an unexpected hit. The season's sense of fun, along with its relationship drama and multiple odd pair-ups, bring humor and touching moments that recall yeah. Game of Thrones at its best. I, uh, are they saying it brings it back because of it's been gone for a year? <laughs> or it brings it back because uh, season two didn't have any of these qualities. Yeah, I think I think season statement. two really season two really. Uh, I think the general consensus is that while it wasn't a bad season by any stretch of the imagination, uh, it, it it really felt like a continuation of season one, but not in all the ways that were as effective. Um, MTV News culture director Crystal Bell tweeted, I think I can finally tell you that Stranger Things is the show's best season yet. Uh, AV Club calls the show the best season by leaps and bounds. Uh, There were a few bad reviews, though. Comicbook.com says the 1980s references are just too much. It's entertaining to see beloved characters. Place in the freaking 80s. (laughs) Well, look, there is pandering. We can talk pandering because it's not as controversial when we're talking about 80s, pandering to people who are 80s fans versus like, race or gender or whatever the case is, which can be lead us into down a downward spiral of controversy. Because the notion of pandering in and of itself is ridiculous. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It is. The notion of pandering is not uh, ridiculous. I think anytime you see something that's pamphlet material on screen, be it uh, gender, race, or in this case, the love of the 80s and how... Well, okay. Let me, let me, let me... I I think you can, I think there's... I'll clear it up. It takes place in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So it can't be pandering when it makes 80s uh, references. Well, according to this... It's like the same as the Black Panther. If it's, if it's an all-black story yeah. about an African country, it's not pandering the race to, to, you know, to make certain references to these things. No. Unless, no. unless you say the thing in and of itself. is if, if you call it pandering, then Stranger Things in and of itself... Is pandering. No, see, and that's. I think there's. A, I think there's a huge difference. I think you're wrong on that sense because I don't. I don't. How else would I you never got a sense from Black Panther that it was pandering. Yeah, but I've heard. I've heard a lot of criticism. Well, they're wrong. Pandering. They're they're totally wrong uh, because it's a story. It's just a solid that's, story that takes. That's kind of how I feel. Gets the backdrop of uh, a very Afro Afrocentric uh, cast and it's setting. Big. Like a story that takes place in the backdrop of a 1980s setting. But in the 80s. In this particular case, this, the review from comicbook.com says it's entertaining to see beloved characters embracing the spirit of goofy 80s films, but these homages feel so blatant that it feels more like a parody than a tribute. Uh, there is something where, where, again, anything that takes you out of the story itself to where all of a sudden it becomes a meta thing, and it's not Deadpool who his whole character breaks the, you know, the, the fourth wall, et cetera, et cetera. That is what pandering, that's where pandering, I think, comes into play. I think in this particular case, um, and again, I haven't seen Stranger Things, so I don't know. But if they go over the top to where it's a wink and a nod to all these things, and you're like, oh, my God, yes, I get it. Yes, I get it. When did all these things become like a bad thing? When did did pandering become like a bad thing? I think there's a balance, though. I think there's a balance of... I mean, yeah, but who's to say what the balance is? That's the problem. This is this is the main problem when you have people instead of just giving it like you know, you know this is another. I, I think I'm when not you can get up on it, but I mean, you got people making reviews, you know, making blanket statements about the whole thing instead of just giving their impressions of it, right? Yeah. And they they themselves like, well, oh, some of these things I felt like it was, you know, being pandered to. As a, if you call it like, if you say it, 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 you know, tilts dangerously towards pandering yeah. or whatever. Like, what kind of comment is that? Dangerously what? what? Why is that a danger? 
it's it's the eighties. It's it's art. It's uh, it's it's subjective. Yeah. Right. If it was a nineties show, or you know, an, or you know, a contemporary show, that you know that 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 had a you know had an eighties feel, right? And yeah. then one of the one of the main characteristics of the show was that it felt like an eighties show. You know, so the the producers and the directors and everybody says, all right, well, let's just play that angle, yeah. right? Then I can understand that. Okay, now they're pandering. You know, now they they've they've we, they understand that we've we've appreciated the eighties vibe that this contemporary yes. show and I think has. You, I think you hit the nail on the head, though. You can have, but a I vibe. mean, if it takes place, like it's like saying that the you know like Midway or that Pearl Harbor was pandering to nineteen forties enthusiasts. It's the forty. It's a period piece. No, I think you're missing it. I think what you you hit it before when you said there's a vibe. I think there's a difference between being taken back to a time that you may have grown up to but who's to make that who's to make that claim that something goes too far you know in the the reflection of 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 i think you said it it's a vibe though it's a vibe you either look at the end of the day people were i understand that the person who who made the comment felt like you know but i don't i don't appreciate well i don't you don't That's like it when people use the argument that a mass amount of people feel a certain way so that it's the right or wrong answer, which I can understand since mm-hmm. there really is no right or wrong because it's subjective. But if a mass That's amount of people point I always feel, keep up. But if a mass amount But we don't even know the, the percentage way. of the people who feel a certain way about anything. No, we don't. Right now, I would actually say that, that without having seen this, considering that's the only review I've read of Stranger Things 3 that has that particular comment, he's in the minority of people that feel that way. Uh, so I'm not going to go into it expecting to feel that way. Okay. If I come out of it and say, oh, boy, I really do feel that way, then I'll, I'll agree with him. Hang on in one second, though. One second. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you appreciate the absurdity just in the sound of a criticism that says a, a, a story I like that your, was... I like your criticism. Yeah, okay. Uh, a story that takes place in the 80s Mm-hmm. Who's pandering to the '80s? Can you can you appreciate the the nonsensicalness of right? But that's not what the criticism like is, though. I think you're. I think you keep you keep you keep just going back to that. I think he says that at this, you know, the homages feel so blatant that it feels more parody than a tribute. And I think that's. I think there is merit to to that in any in any form of art. You know what I mean? Like I think in any form of art you can sit there and say uh you know this is this is too over the top look the scene in avengers endgame where all the female heroes got together uh you know is 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 an example of boy that was really over the top and unnecessary in my opinion and in many people's opinion there's uh the many people's opinion there can be just to to back up my uh my point of view many other people share this point of view also which strengthens my position it does though of course it it doesn't of course it does anytime if if your if your opinion has a if you if you if your opinion has merit as your opinion then the conviction of you having that opinion with should should withstand whether or not a thousand people agree with you, and no one agrees with you. It's because not a. It's, but, you can, but you can sit there and dismiss. It's not a valid team. point of of uh, you know of, ah. of succession. You know, it really isn't. I think there's I think there's always validity to it if it is a mutual response 
experienced across a large but, uh, the thousands of the hundreds and thousands of people loved it you know so i mean I, I, I agreed yes so who, wins or, so who wins or loses that on That's my show kinda... i always win all right when we come back, we go, blue, 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 blue. we go back in time. That was my, blue, blue. that was my back in time. See, we, we, we've got tons. What sound effects we've had on today's show. We have the bomb. We have, blue, blue. That's uh, time travel. We go back in time to last night where Ramon Gill uh, graciously hosted us, but we get to learn and hear about diversity con. We get to hear about men of DARPA. We get to hear of sci-fi's all the cool things that Ramon Gill is doing when we come back. Hi everyone, my name is Michael Dolce, creator of The Sire from Mike Books. The Sire is about a superhero forced by his own costume to fight evil. It's like having a spider sense, but instead of warning him of danger, it actually puts him in danger. It was first launched back in 2006 through After Hours Press, and was met with tremendous success. Six issues and a trade paperback later, I thought the Sire's journey had reached a good stopping point. But a funny thing happened. As I continued working in comics, writing for Zenoscope, and co-creating Descendant for Image Comics, fans would meet me at conventions and continually ask when the next issue was coming out. Apparently, the Sire was far from done. And that's why I'm proud to welcome you to this Kickstarter, celebrating the Volume 2 trade paperback for the Sire. Collecting issues seven through 10, and featuring an amazing cover by Jim Calafuri of Aquaman fame. The trade is an exciting way for readers, both new and old, to get into the character. And this trade doesn't just collect old material. It's jam-packed with almost 15 pages of new material, including a brand new prologue featuring the return of fan-favorite artist Daniel Leister. Welcome back to Secrets of the Sire. I am sitting here in a different room all of a sudden, right? I mean, the first segment was yeah, completely I know, different. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I don't know. I blinked and now we're here. We, uh, we transported back in time to Tuesday night where Ramon <laughs> Gill, creator of Sci-Fi's, and a whole bunch of other stuff, including Diversity Comic Con, which I want to really talk about as well, too, because I'm, I'm really excited about, uh, about that, uh, invited Hassan and I on as his featured guest for his comic book uh, creator and graphic novel meetup, which we were honored and humbled. So thank you, sir. It was awesome, an awesome experience. And uh, now, now it's your turn, sir. Okay. Talk to us about your career. Give us uh, a rundown of sure. um Typical comic book kid, you know, wanted to do comic books, and then in 1992, I broke in with Vortex Comics from Canada okay. and doing NASCAR autobiographies. I learned more about NASCAR that year than I ever did, and um, and I decided I moved to New York City mm -hmm. to be closer to uh, to the industry. Marvel um, DC. Yeah, Marvel DC. Jim Shirley did my portfolio back in San Diego back in '93. He said, come up to Defiant Offices when you get here. Oh, Defiant Comics. Yeah, wow. I went up to Defiant Offices. I also went up to Valiant Offices. And then the very next week is when the whole industry collapsed. <laughs> um, so it was you who did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But by then I had like, two issues for Vortex, which never saw print, unfortunately. But I knew already that I hated drawing comics 
by myself at home, spending 16 hours a day, yeah. you know, just slaving away on the pages. And being new in New York, I had no social life. I was depressed. <laughs> so when the industry tanked, I went into advertising. And I yeah. stayed in advertising until about 2014, when uh, a good friend of mine, Amy Chu, switched mm -hmm. from being a, a, a business consultant to, to writing comic books. Wow. So I, it's an easy transition. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I, 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 I said, hey, Amy, can I take you out to lunch and pick your brain? And she said, sure. So she had me take her to the most expensive Korean restaurant <laughs> in New York City. And it was worth it because I got a lot of info. And she told me do small projects, do anthology, self-publish, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's what I started doing out, doing and, and slowly. and. What I also realized was that I can't, I'm not, I, I hate bar con. I don't drink, so okay. I like the yeah, bar yeah. scene after the yeah. cons. And Amy told me to to do panels and to network. And yeah. so putting on the speaker series yeah. was my way of networking now, with industry people. Absolutely brilliant. And it's something that we talked about uh, you yeah. know, in, our, in our seminar. It's, it's creating a platform for yourself yeah. as a professional. And what you do is, is fantastic. So and so since then, yeah. I, 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 I mean, exactly like you created a lot of contacts, had a lot of opportunities from those contacts. Sure. And you know, and but what's ironic is that I'm finding that that I think I enjoy the organizing the events as much, if not more, than actually creating the comics. Yes. Yeah. You know, but. Uh, I haven't quite decided yet. Well, then it's it's funny you mention that too because obviously you know we're comic book creators at at, at the core, but we yeah. we did the podcast to help us you know reconnect with everyone in the industry, and it's a great way to do it. And now the podcast kind of taking life on its life of its own, and it's like we we do we kind yeah. of enjoy you know I mean it's a full time job for us now, and it's it's exciting in that sense. So talk to us about your creations. Uh, you're a creator of sci fi's. Uh, what sci is, is uh, Sci-Fi was the, the name of the original anthology series that I produced in 2014 through mm -hmm. 27-16, I think. We had about four issues, yeah. and then I brought it back last year with Sci-Fi's 2019. Mm -hmm. It was only 2018, yeah. we had some snags. Uh, this time, so this time for that anthology, rather than me writing all the short stories, I had a bunch of other people writing, contributing art and stuff. Um, I've also done Men, Men from Darpa, which was three issues. Yep. I'm trying to. That's the book I picked up at Hudson. I'm trying to put together a fourth issue and make a trade out of it. That's great. Um, and then I also did the hard code with Trevor Hall Eden. Okay. And we are working yeah. on the third issue right now. And who's that through? And that actually, we uh, I had some offers from some smaller publishers mm -hmm. uh, a while back, but they all said, "Oh, well, it'll come out next year," mm -hmm. which to me was like. Next year, I can come out with this in six months, yeah. you know, and so maybe I shot myself in the foot, you know, but once it's, once I have the third issue and we can make it in a trade, I'll shop it around again, Okay. you know, and then the last thing I did, which is only one issue right now, is Centuries, mm -hmm. um, and I'm also finishing up something called The Professionals. Okay, and what's the, what's the 30 second elevator pitch for The Professionals? The Professionals is that New York City uh, Mayor uh, orders his top cop to create a superhero, mm -hmm. and so what he does is he calls on his old uh, SEAL team, and they create, they pretend to be one superhero. Oh, okay. Oh, that's pretty cool. I like but that. The, but the book is about politics. Okay. Because there's a so that's be, what hardcore comic fans. Yeah, that's. Be <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm joking. I'm joking. 
because it's the mayor's office, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. the mob is involved, yeah. you know, so it's a lot of double-crossing thing going on, and plus the psychological uh, stress that would be involved in crime fighting yeah. at that level, yeah, that's awesome. which, which I don't think gets covered enough. The crime fighting aspect of comics these days is almost an afterthought because of how much history yeah, in comics is coming from anymore. Right. Come to think of it. Right. Like it's, yeah, like it's almost like crime is, a, like you said, is an afterthought, but it's almost mm-hmm. like crime is kind of a, it, it, it takes a backseat to the to intricacies of like the interpersonal relationships between superheroes and yeah. all this. Yeah, like this it's, it's, it's almost like the environment. So. Well, I think comics have gotten very meta, right? I mean, I think people who are writing comics have been comic book readers, and so they know when they're writing something that could be considered a trope or something that's stereotypical or something, and then they kind of do their scripts around that. So, so it's great to actually get back into the crime fighting aspect, which is what you're, you know, what you're talking about. I think that's actually really. Uh, really exciting. Talk to us about the meetups. Uh, you've had an amazing guest list too. Uh, our our former employer, Mar- uh, Martha Donato, was actually okay, yeah. here as well too. And, and and talk to us about how this is kind of you know kind of spun well, into something. Well, it's it's um, we're lucky in that we're in New York City, yeah. so it's easy to yeah. get really good guests, you know, to come out. Mm-hmm. And I actually feel bad because there's a lot of more more people that I'd love to invite on, but it's logistically or timing wise. I can't really do this more than once a month. Yeah. You know, I'd love to do this once a week. No, you don't. But, Trust uh, me. No, you <laughs> don't. But no, I think the wife would go for that. <laughs> so, she would not. So once a month it is. Well, well what, what I've been trying to do now is, is we'll have a speaker once a month, and then uh, two in between we'll have other events. Like, you know, we'll go to an exhibit, or we'll, okay. we'll, we'll just have. I'm thinking of doing actually a, a shut up and draw night. You know, okay. we just get together. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, everybody yeah. just draws. So, or so I just monitored a panel in Motor City Con. It was a sketch duel uh, with Jeff Johnson and um, Scott. Oh, I'm gonna get his name wrong. It's guy just flash. It's not Cobblish. I know I'm gonna get it wrong. Good thing he doesn't listen to our podcast, so we're good. Yeah, um, just edit it in. Yeah, right. Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, it's good. Um, and he, uh, Jeff Johnson, though, hosts a drink and draw out in L.A. and my friend Tony, who uh, does a book at Action Lab now, uh, you know, basically got his in because of those drinking drugs. So definitely do one. They're a lot of fun, and they're de- and it's it's a great opportunity for. Yeah, a couple uh, about two years ago, I met Sandy at New York City Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Buddy Scalera oh, yeah. actually picked me to be one of his one of the guys come to go up on stage with a bunch of other. I think that I was there, so we were there. But. I didn't know. He's probably like, well, get my shot. I missed my shot. Oh, no. No, yes. Buddy does a lot of these things, too. Yeah. He's, he's really, really Buddy great, great, great at, uh, at setting that up. Uh, talk to us about Diversity Con. It's a Comic Con you're hosting in October as well in New York City. Okay, so uh, I teach the FIT, and um, and a uh, good friend of mine is Fabrice Polsky, who mm-hmm. was the co-founder of Jewish Comic Con out in Brooklyn. And he was telling me, well, you should totally do an Asian Comic Con. Yeah. And I was thinking about it, and I was actually, I was talking to uh, Omar Mirza, who does the Zindan comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also did uh, the Incapable Prom, you know, which is a big hit at, at New York City Comic Con. But anyway, so we were talking about, about it, and then a fr- uh, one of my, uh, my mentor over at FIP said, you know, go to this workshop, and you can get a grant for a diversity project. So I went and I saw I can make a diversity comic con here. Wow, that's great, right? Um, and so I submitted the grant, 
uh, the application for the grant, and um, I was told that that it's not going to get approved because uh, because there was a money making component, and okay. none of the grants are allowed to have money making components. Sure. So I thought, okay, well, I messed up. I'll try again next year. But I got an email from the president's office, or from the from the vice president of diversity, yeah. about that got approved. I'm going, why did it get approved? I thought it was this should be disqualified because there's there's profit involved. Okay. I don't know why I got approved. You know, everybody told us going to school. I walked into his office. I walked into his office, and all of his office was Batman memorable. Oh. <laughs> And he actually showed up in a Batman suit to diversity. Oh, wow. Now, because it's a non, uh, uh, can't have a profit, I, I'm not making money off diversity sure. comic con. But I'm using it as a way to become the go-to person for comics on campus. That's so great. they would let me teach comic books, which they finally did. That's great. And also as a way for me to further uh, make build relationships in the industry. That's great. So that's why I was able to get, I mean, this year we have Ross Chast who is the award-winning uh, cartoons for the New Yorker magazine. Oh, okay, great. You know, we got a brave new, uh, a, a, a way blue world. Yeah, uh, so Tyler Shin, say, yeah. Uh, is, is, uh, is coming out. Uh, some people I would, I would otherwise not connect with if it weren't for the fact that I'm able to put on a Comic-Con at a college here in the city. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. It sounds to me, and this is what I, I tend to find, and I think Hassan would agree, when you actually step out of the industry, and then come back into it. You have a wealth of actual real-world knowledge. I feel like everyone who is in the comic book industry is in a bubble sometimes when it comes to the ways to connect with other people, to build relationships, to do these kind of things. And, and you know, even indicative of the kind of the, the kind of people who are coming to your you know meetups are people who are looking to break in. And it's tough when you're in this bubble. Would you agree with that? I totally agree. Um, between uh, leaving and coming back. I worked in advertising, and I even ran my own design company for right. uh, for nine years. And so uh, people are always surprised that I'm putting out four or five books a year, you mm -hmm. know. And when you have uh, art directing and production experience, you know, and project management management yeah. experience, it's a lot easier. You know? Yeah, it's like you know. Also, it's the like technology, the strange thing it about makes technology mm -hmm. too, yeah. coming back in, it makes you open to the new ways yeah. of doing so many things yeah. that right. you didn't realize. Like how far things have come. Yeah. And if you were just in the bubble, you might be continuing to do things your way, like the old way, and not know yeah. that they're decent. Exactly. I know people who don't even really use Photoshop or any of these mm -hmm. other programs. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, I was resonating with me. We were talking about that networking group. Because yeah. in business, when you own a company, you have to network. Yeah. It serves you well when you're in this industry because you're right, it's about my, my perspective now, I call this, you know, like my, my, my second coming or whatever you want to call it in the industry, because it is, uh, is so different than the first. The first was, yeah. I'm just going to go out and storm the world with my creations and everyone's right. just going to love what I do and know what I'm going to do. And, and, and then you come in and you're like, no, no, you, you had some things right. You were doing some things you didn't even know you were doing that were great. And you did a lot of things that are not going to get you where you need to go, and, and it's a perspective that you're not going to have unless you kind of put yourself out and back in. All right, last question. Your best Comic-Con and or comic book experience has been? Oh, wow, that's a good question. What's up? I tried. The best experience? <laughs> uh, you know, every Comic-Con offers like a really interesting um, 
I, I either I learn something new or I come out with it with a good contact or whatever. But I'll tell you that one of the more interesting ones was was at SPX a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, I, I got lucky enough to be chosen as one of the people who got to pitch to Nickelodeon that year ah, at SPX. Okay. Now I obviously did not get in, but it was a great learning experience. I'll tell you what happened. So I pitched them. They saw they saw Men in Black. They mm -hmm. said, "Okay, come come pitch." So I went to the room, and there was a line of uh, about 100 people, mm -hmm. you know, uh, just to pitch. And so I went in, and I told them my the concept about four nerdy scientists who work for the government who get involved in this in adventures and espionage, and they use their scientific wits to get out of it. You know, so they're a bunch of geeks who are fish out of water, basically. And they said, well, we love the idea, but they said, number one, it has no kids in it. <laughs> Number two, it's got guns. Mm -hmm. And number three, the jokes are for old people. Oh. So I said, well, I can, I've actually been thinking about retooling it as the kids from DARPA, you know, and then it would be, then, you know, what do you guys think of that? Well, that's a great concept, but there's a hundred other people outside whose concepts are ready to go. Yeah. Today. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I get it. So, okay, I understand. So if you want, you know, after you've retooled it, you can try bringing it back. Wow. Good luck to you. So, so that was a good lesson. Always have something on standby. Yeah. Always have something on standby. Yeah. I should have had more than, than one pitch, right? Well, Ramon, this has been a tremendous experience. Thank you again for having us. Thank and, you for coming on. And uh, I'm really excited to have you on our show. Tell everyone out there where they can find you and where they can find your work. They can actually just find me on RamonGill.com. But I'm going to announce it here for the first time. Me and some buddies are putting together a new company called Comics Forces. Okay. And what it is is going to be a design and marketing company for the industry. And we're starting out to no job is too small. Mm -hmm. So if you already have an idea, just have an idea, we'll do the rest. But if you already have the art, then we'll do the rest. No matter how far along are you are in the creation process, we can help you, whether it's it's helping you with the Kickstarter, helping you with the marketing, or helping you with the production. Yeah. You know, and a big part of, it, of, of our offerings will also be um, helping educate people. And, and we're gonna enrolling this, this, this uh, meetup into that, as well as Diversity Comic Con. And by the way, this meetup is now called the Comic Arts Workshop. Comic <laughs> Arts Workshop. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you so much, Ramon Gill. When we come back, we go spinning the rack. Welcome back to Secrets of the Sire. Again, we want to thank Ramon. We are, we are back. Woo. We just go, we just keep going, racing through time, uh, past, present, future. It's, it's amazing. Uh, we want to thank Ramon again for hosting us. Go check out his uh, creator workshops in New York City. They do them once a month. Uh, next month, they're going to have someone from Random House, Random House, which is really exciting. I'm actually going to make it a point to be there because it's a great guest. They've had other great guests as well. Uh, check out DiversityCon in October and check out Men of DARPA and check out Sci-Fi's. Uh, all the cool comics that Ramon is uh, creating. A uh, couple things. One, thank you for spending your holiday 
beginning to the holiday weekend with us. It's 4th of July, so we are very patriotic, and we want to wish everyone a happy 4th of July. We also want to say that Secrets of the Sire is brought to you by all of our beloved patrons, uh, Craig Caruso, Einar Peterson, Matt Beyer, Ashley Haikai, Omar Morales, Program Director Stephanie Dolce, and as always, our Uber fan, Christina Dolce. Uh, Brian Phillips, I think, is also back on board with us as well, too, so we want to thank him. And we want to thank all of our past and present and future uh, backers go to patreon.com slash secrets of the sire before we get into spin the racks threw it out there what are you looking forward to more stranger things or spider-man alicia davis says stranger things she has her egos in the freezer waiting heidi ward said easily spider-man and i asked her why easily because i don't care about stranger things i watched the first season but have no real drive to watch more randy hogan still haven't seen season two of stranger things i'll be seeing spidey firster yes firster uh, so we definitely have it. Hassan, did you actually say which one you're you're looking forward to more? I I, I can't recall now in the conversation we previously just had. Uh, yeah, I said Stranger Things. Because of the because okay, good. That's what I thought you did, but I wanted to make sure. I'm going to see Spider Man. We are going to review Spider Man next week, and in two weeks we'll review Stranger Things. But first, we do this every week. We go spinning the racks. Spin the rack. Spin the racks. <laughs> Walking Dead Bombshell. We mentioned it at the beginning of the show. Uh, Walking Dead Comics, source of multi-billion dollar franchise, ends with surprise finales. This is from Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Whither the Walking Dead, while the future of the Walking Dead TV universe is not in doubt, a shock decision by Robert Kirkman, creator of the franchise, is raising questions about the original AMC show that started the zombie craze. Issue 193 of the Walking Dead comic series, released today, will be the final issue in a move calculated to surprise fans of the series. Creator Robert Kirkman and artist Charlie Adler concluded the industry-changing comic book series with Wednesday's Walking Dead issue 193, an extra-sized edition that plays out a sprawling epilogue to the Walking Dead universe. Uh, the series finale comes just shy of the landmark 200th issue. What's more, the ending has arrived without any advance warning to the point that Kirkman and Skybound solicited several subsequent issues with cover art from Adler. These covers and solicitations were created to preserve the secret behind the series finale, according to Kirkman himself. I hate knowing what's coming, Kirkman wrote in the concluding pages of the, of the issue. As a fan, I hate it when I realize I'm in the third act of a movie and the story is winding down. I hate that I can count commercial breaks and know I'm nearing the end of a TV show. I hate that you can feel when you're getting to the end of a book or a graphic novel. Some of the best episodes of Game of Thrones are when they're structured in a way and paced to perfection so your brain can't tell if it's been watching for 15 minutes or 50 minutes. And when the end comes, you're stunned. He also went on to say the comic industry as a whole can be very complacent. The systems are in place. Everybody uses the same systems. Comics either live or die based on the generic press releases and interview structures. And it's all the same websites that cover comic book news. There's a very rudimentary system of going into a comic shop, finding a comic, and hearing about a comic online. I'm always trying to think of ways to shake that up where you energize the industry to a certain extent and do things that make people take notice in a way that's not normal. Hassan, thoughts? on the way he did it and this and the series coming to an end which was actually a complaint from both of us that it was an ongoing series so there was never a, a series a sense of finale but in this particular case the most shocking death in walking dead was its own what are your what are your thoughts yeah. <laughs> we have sound effects galore today. <laughs> Amazing. Look, I I don't I'm not a avid reader of the book, yeah. so I can't comment on whether it's a good ending or a bad ending. 
um, in particular. Um, I, you know, just as a rule, a gimmick ending, not high on my list of things to do. Clever. I absolutely love it. But, I absolutely I don't know. But you asked me how it. I felt about it. I know. Well, I'm responding to that. I absolutely love the fact that it came out of nowhere because I do agree with him to an extent. I love, I love anything that kind of thinks outside the box in terms of a way something can happen. You know, if you knew, if you knew Walking Dead was ending, um, there's definitely there's, there's going to be... But there's merit in knowing there's an ending coming and still landing a satisfying ending. You know, as a right, story, right? I don't know what the story ending, a gimmicky ending, and this is and this is whatever you call it. However, however powerful it is, it's a gimmick ending. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, it forces a confrontation. It for it's like um, although I you know ironically don't mind that ending. It's like the Sopranos ending. You know, where it's like ah, oh, fade to black. You know, but ending it like maybe five yeah, but- six minutes before you figured it was going to end. Oh, okay. And it's um, it's it's. It's a gimmick ending, but as you said, when we were talking about, um, when you talked about Jeff Amint, it there's precedence for the Sopranos to, to pull that kind of move because yeah. of the tears of kind of, you know, of, of strange narrative tactics that they pulled yeah. on a regular basis. This, this, you know, the, the the sound of it on his face, it's like, oh, so your trick to kind of make a controversial ending was to end it before you told everyone you were going to end it. Well, okay. as, as I kind of mentioned, and, and we want to be as as possible, there was a major event that happened in the previous issue, so much to the point right. where people were sitting there saying, boy, how is he going to continue? From a story and the, and the, perspective... And from the story perspective, instead of saying, instead of showing everybody, well, this is how, he said, no, I'm, I can't. So well, he didn't end it on that, though. He didn't, it's not like you read it, all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened, and there's no more issues. The next issue. One more issue. So it kind of proves that it didn't really, it, it couldn't, the, the story didn't have the legs. No. I'm, not, I'm not condemning the story in and of itself. Right. I'm just saying. You know, if if the controversy was how you're going to pull out of this, and in terms you don't pull out of it, right? That's how much of a how much of a shocker is that going to be? Yeah, you know. So, if you look, I might read it and go, "Wow, this is really good." You know, this is really powerful. I'm saying on its face, without knowing anything about it, without having read it, yeah, without being a reader of the comic. If if I was writing a story, and my and my uh, art director or my uh, or my editor came to me and said okay i got an idea why don't we just end it next issue i was like well i got a i got you know at least three more months of story to to tell so, yeah but mm-hmm. yeah you don't need it you know it this will this will catch more attention if we just drop it right now yeah you know and just call it an end just end this epic series that you've been working on that's that's groundbreaking that's change the landscape of comic books and television at the same time. I gotta be honest though, what Let's if pull a lever on it? You know, and I, I think if someone came to me with that, I'd be like, that's a gimmick. You know, that's a, I think I think I can land this story on my own. I don't need mm. these tricks. But that's that's only if you ask me what I think of the trick in and of itself. If I read the story and it works and I'm like, wow, that's that's a really powerful ending. You know, 
I won't mind, you know. Yeah. I'm sure it'll. I'm sure it would work. And I'm, you know, knowing knowing their the the that comic book and right. that team, it, it probably lands well. It's, it's probably uh, well, you know knowing knowing that that story now has an ending actually has for the first time re-energized me to go and, and actually watch season nine. I got through two episodes of season nine. Uh, it's sitting on a DVR waiting to be watched, and I've just been like, yeah, well, whatever. I mean, it's just going to keep going and going and going and going at this point. So, you know, and, and it, it, but now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, now I want to watch season nine because then I want to pick up the books because I, I've been reading the books in succession with the, with the show. And yeah, it just makes me want to just jump to, the, jump to the end and see what the last two issues are like. And yeah. just go, all right, all right, that's good. Uh, I, I think I spoiled, I spoiled the second to last issue for me by reading this article, so I'm not uh, I'm not going to do the same thing to our audience, of course. But well, yeah, that's much appreciated. Um, but I think if you jump to the end, yeah, I think I think if you went from wherever you are right now and jumped to the end, you yeah. probably wouldn't be missing too much. In my I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. The one question that remains from it, though, is what does it mean for the AMC show? Uh, with a series of movies, so it, should have, it should have stopped maybe five years ago. Not five, two years. So the franchise appears safe. Uh, in addition, five. The comic book series ended in a way this TV series can't replicate. Still, the surprise ending begs the question whether AMC's show could follow suit with some surprises of its own. I think that's the next logical thing that's going to happen. I think one day Walking Dead is literally going to have a series finale, and you're not going to know about it until you watch it, and it's going to be the end, and then they're going to announce the press release. And be like, that was the end of the show. I yeah. think it's gonna, what I mean. What a sense of urgency now to 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 be part of that. If that's because look, actors no. are not going to keep going on forever. A show is not going to go on forever, and it's better to 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 pull the plug. I think before you know, better to burn out than fade away. Five years ago, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and better to pull the plug five years ago. Yeah, but do it without the the farewell tour. All right. Thank you again for show for for being part of the Fourth of July weekend before it started with us. Uh, go subscribe to our YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash Secrets of the Sire. Next week is Spider-Man: Far From Home, the summer movie we all needed, or is it just another piece of a larger puzzle? Join us for an in-depth review of this Marvel blockbuster, and in two weeks we will have our Stranger Things three review. We've got awesome guests coming up. We got Comic Con coming up in two weeks as well too, so we'll preview that. Uh, when we do Stranger Things 3 review. We got Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, uh, on the show in three weeks. Really exciting stuff. Really can't wait. Uh, Thank you, guys, and we will see you all next week. Secrets of the Sire.